advertisements are really helpful, aren't they? They, they show us what makes us tick as human beings when you kick back Christmas advertisements are that extra bit helpful, I think. Because they show us that it's more than just about the thing. Do you know, we watch, we watch the adverts and it's all the way through, it's the shiny thing, it's the gift or it's the supermarket or it's the product. And you watch the Christmas adverts, they all end, most of them end kind of the same way. There's a family around a room, there's a there's a guy and his child making sense of the world. There's a lady looking off into the mountains and grasping life. They're all about deeper things. They're so helpful, these adverts, because they make us realize what we really long for in life. And we think we can just go out and buy the product and get it that way. We make us realize that what we long for in life can be something way bigger, way deeper, something that we long for. This advert, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, it's a cute um, dragon, the production levels are excellent, the song's really amazing, but this resonates with us on a deeper level because we know what it's like to be the outsider, don't we? We know, we know how it feels to just not quite fit in, or just think that there's something more that could really help us out that we kind of long to be a part of. We all, we watch this and we go, yes, I know how it feels. We all have that aching to belong. But as we watch the advert, we come away, the, what's the, where's the warm glow coming from? Like the songs are good, it's a nice gentle pace, but where's the warm glow coming from? We, we look at it and we see the girl that sticks with the dragon with the terrible breath and shows him a way to find belonging. Shows him a way to make sense of his life and sticks with him even though she knows well, who he is and what he's like. And we come away a bit more hopeful about the world because we think, oh, that might just be a possibility in life. It might be the way that we don't fit in, but we've got this hope of belonging. So what do we do? We go out and buy an overpriced John Lewis jumper and do they do food at John Lewis? I've never been in. We go out and buy something like that. We, yeah, they don't let me in. Uh, and we invite the in crowd round. We cross our fingers and we hope that our fiery breath doesn't put off these people and we make lifelong relationships that we've longed for for the rest of our life. No, I don't think that's the moral of the story. You, you'll have noticed uh, if the, the astute amongst you will have noticed that there were no dragons in the text. There are dragons mentioned in the Bible, but there are no dragons in the text. So you're wondering, where are we going? Where, where are we going with this? There's two questions I want you to have in your mind as we preach through the text. You'll have noticed, the astute amongst you, that it's the end of a letter. Did you notice that? This is the end of a letter. Some, some of you will not know I'm looking around. Some of you will, but some of you will not know. Some of the people in there and in there, they won't know what a letter is. They won't know how to write one. They will not have seen one. This is the end. You know, letter writing, there's been a huge event in the last 20 years. Well, in a couple hundred years' time, we'll look back and realize what's happened. But for about 2,500 years, one of the primary ways that we've communicated with each other has been through letters. 
We've written to each other, and we've loved this process, and we've understood how to write a letter. 20 years ago or something like that, we got mobile phones, and it all changed. So for the uninitiated in letter writing, it's, it's the end of the letter. So it's the equivalent to, and I'm, look, I'm look, searching for the, the more fun sort of savvy people. It's, it's like the end of, just so we can get where it's coming from, the end of a letter is like the end of you know, FaceTime. The end of this letter is like the end of FaceTime. You know the end of FaceTime? So you've been, you're, and I, I can't do FaceTime. I don't like to see myself on that level, and it just, I just mess it all up all the time. But we use FaceTime, don't we? And you get to the end of the FaceTime, you've had your conversation about all the things, you get to the end of FaceTime, and you go, by the way, and then you do that thing, your phone's like this, and you show, the, show around the room. You do, you do that thing, don't you? You show, Uncle John's asleep in the corner, um, uh, your brother's missing you, he loves you, your dad's gone out to the supermarket to get something like this, and then you say something like, but you know, tell everybody there, I'm thinking of them. It's, it's kind of the greetings and regards. That's what we do, just so you're clued up. And in the letter, Paul's, it's, it's, it's like that. It's like Paul's got his phone to the church at Colossae, kind of like that, and he's going around the room, and he's saying things like, yep, yeah, um, I'm in jail, but I'm thinking of you, uh, Epaphras, Sends his best wishes. Tychicus, he's going to come over. He's going to fill you in. Uh, say hello to everybody over there. Pass on my regards, all that kind of thing. Tell Archippus uh, to crack on. It's, it's like that. It's the end of the letter. So the two questions to ask yourself to keep you engaged for the next 15 minutes is, why should I care about, the, why should I care about this end of FaceTime thing that Paul's got going on? I don't, I don't know any of these people. I maybe know one or two of them. Some of those names are kind of hard to pronounce. Why should I engage with that? Why should I bother about that? And then, what's that got to do with the dragon? There are not many sermons being preached up and down the country today where you'll be thinking about what's happening to the dragon. If, if, I mean, often it you know, be, be a church that's gone off the rails a little bit, but those are the questions that I want you to, to listen to. What, why should I be bothered about this list? And what's it got to do with the dragon. So we'll get the text up and we'll preach our way through it. It's, it's the list. I'll, I'll sort of explain to you what's going on in the text. It's, it's a bunch of characters and essentially what Paul's doing is he's trying to, I think this is what you do when you, when you get to the end of the phone, of the sort of FaceTime chat or your WhatsApp message, you kind of want to, if you're trying to organize something, if you're trying to make something happen, you want to G, G everything up, don't you? You want to you inspire them with the last you know, the last little bit of, bit of your letter, you want to get everybody excited about the thing. And that's what he's doing here. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you who's coming along to this thing. I'm going to tell you all the people. I'm going to tell you what's going on with them. And then that'll G you up. So we should be a little bit G'd up by this. So the first, so it's, it's who the person is and it's kind of what's going on with them. So we'll run through this list. First guy is Paul. I've sort of subtitled this first little bit of the text. Paul, his murderous past as we forget that about Paul when we read his letters. Very nice, some of these letters. His murderous past and his newfound optimism. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it, as cl- proclaim it clearly. I can't even speak clearly. Proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer 
everyone. Just dropping in on it a little bit. First thing he says is devote yourselves to prayer. Kind of gives you a Christian heart attack straight away, doesn't it? Devote, this is what you should do. Devote yourselves to prayer. I don't know what your, how you crack on with your prayer life. So as a father of three, 40-year-old guy who falls asleep at 10 o'clock, whether he wants to or not, it's, e- it's easy with our prayer lives that they just become sort of sleepy, distracted ramblings sometimes. I, that, my prayers. So I can't speak for you all looking back at me in this moment. You might all be thinking, I'm very angry about what you've just said. My prayer life is on point. I think it's easy for our prayer life to get like that. So they just become sleepy, weird, sort of observational ramblings. Paul challenges us here to be devoted to prayer and notice the specifics he puts around it. Be watchful and thankful when you pray. I don't know if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen, there's a, there's a great clip on the internet of a newsreader who is on in the middle of the night and he falls asleep while he's doing the news. It's one of the, it appeals to my sense of humor. I listen to it over and over again. It's absolutely hilarious. You know, he's, he's on in the middle of the night, he's reading the news, and he just keeps dropping off. And then right at the end of it, you can hear his head hit the microphone. And, and you're listening to this, you're thinking, well, if you're not bothered about the news, if you're not really engaged with the news, then, you know, who else is going to listen to this? Sometimes I think, when you think about our prayer lives, think about some of my sleepy, just before I fall to sleep prayers, some of the things I'm talking to God about. You know, why should... If I can't be bothered to stay awake, why should God hear these prayers? If I'm not really getting, and he says, Paul says here, he says, be watchful and alert. What he's saying is, get your head up, wake up, have a look around, and pray about, pray about the world, pray about stuff that's actually going on. Pray with real meaning and real, real value. Have a, have a look at what's going on. Pray about things that are going to matter. Prayer. Pray with devotion is the first thing. And then the next thing, which kind of blows you away about Paul, he says, pray for, pray for an open door for the message. Now, that's a, that's a fine prayer, but you've got to think about the context of where Paul's writing from. Paul's in jail. The door that he's looking at when he writes this letter is firmly closed. In fact, it's, it's maybe not ever going to open. If I'm, in, if I'm in jail, I've not been in jail, by the way, and I'm hopefully, God, God willing, that's never going to happen. But if I'm in jail, and, I've not, and these jails are pretty rough places, and I've not got any food, and I've, you know, I've not got many friends, I'm praying for friends and food and release. I'm praying for, looking at that door, I'm saying, God, if you don't open this door, I'm not sure if I'm even going to be able to believe in you. But Paul's prayer, such is his perspective change, is, is even, though I'm, even though I'm in these confined position, my prayer is... That this, that this, my imposition won't restrict this message because this message is what really counts. Father God, open doors for this message. Don't let this message be like me confined here. Make a way to get this message out there. Such is his perspective change. And his instructions are so outward looking. Speak clearly, act wisely, be opportunistic, be smart with your words. He's not in jail feeling sorry for himself. He's soaking up all the time thinking, how can I use this time to be effective out in this world? It's such 
it's such a turnaround. He's such a turned around character. He's gone from being in this, I don't know if you know lots about Paul's past, he's gone from being in this privileged pharisaical position where he would go out and kill Christians to kind of preserve his way of life to being in a really bad position. But as he looks out on the world, he, looks at, he, doesn't, he doesn't think I'm about killing people anymore. He's looking out with love towards the world that is out there. So this is the first character. It's Paul. And he encourages us to be devoted in prayer. It's the guy holding the phone. The next two characters. And Leanne said them perfectly, which means that I will probably get them wrong a little bit. Tychicus and Onesimus, or to help me, Tich and Oni. Now, on, on the, let's read the text. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So on the face of it, these two guys, you kind of, you think, you want, me, you want me to engage with this? I don't, I don't know anything about these two guys. On the face of it, there's nothing going, going on, really. But if you dig around at the text, this is the most unlikely duo that you could ever string together. First of all, Tychicus. So Tychicus is the guy that's going to deliver the letter. And he's the guy that's delivered letters in the past. He's going to walk the distance and deliver, deliver this letter. But he is more than a postman. See what it says on the text? He's going to get there and he's going to express the sentiment of this letter. He's not just a delivery driver. I, I don't know if you, you will be getting many deliveries in the next couple of weeks, like me, I guess. And you see the parcel force guys, God bless them, rock up, ex- just physically exhausted. They can barely get their heads up to look at you, just like that. Sign, that's how it is, isn't it? Sign the thing. I, I'm like, oh man. And he's like, he's already got to be three places five minutes ago. That's what his storyline is. Imagine that your parcel force guy came around and it's a Christmas present for your wife or something. And he lovingly said, by the way, this is a great gift. Spot on. Good for you. Let me tell you a little bit about, let me tell you, let me come inside, we'll have a cup of tea, and I'll pad out this gift to you. Tychicus is like that, but like times 20. Tychicus comes with this message, this letter from Paul, and he stays. He's, he's a legend, this guy, and he's done it loads and loads of times. It's more than just the delivery guy, Tychicus. He's just this awesome postman, Bible-explaining dude that you want on your team. That's him. Next guy, Onesimus. If you read the letter of Philemon, which is a bit further on in your Bible, you get a little bit of sense of what this guy, Onesimus, is like. God love him. He's a slave. And I'm going to say it, at least to this point, a bit of a scallywag. It's probably a much more on-point word than scallywag, but I'm going to go with scallywag. That's what he is. He's a slave and a scallywag, a bit of a wrong'un. And we don't, know, we don't know exactly how he came to faith, but it looks to me, and you speak to me afterwards, it looks to me like he's... He's bumped into Paul in jail on the run from wherever he's been. This is, it. This is his story. He's legged it from his, his, his master and he's in jail and he's found God. So these are the two guys. The awesome, friendly, parcel force guy that you want on your team and the guy who up until five minutes ago might rob you as soon as look at you. At least that's what you think. And you look at this story and you think this is never going to work. 
How, how can this work? It's like, it's like Mother Teresa and Oliver Twist going on a day trip together down the road. Mother Teresa says, I'm not, go- I'm not going with him. Great though I am, I've not got time for this. He'll just rob me. And Oliver Twist would probably rob her on the way. It just would never work. And yet, Tychicus on Onesimus, it's brilliant. In this story, it works. Paul and his murderous past and his new optimism and his encouragement to prayer Tychicus and Onesimus. Next few guys I'm almost certainly going to say wrong. Aristarchus, Aristarchus, Mark, Barnabas, and Justus, or Jesus, who changed his name to Justus. This is Paul, the Jewish murderer, and his unlikely comrades and friends. Verse 10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. This is brilliant. Love this. Think I know what this means. Maybe I read in between the lines too far. As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, who's also there, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Aristarchus. Don't know a lot about him. Mark. Now, the statues of him in Venice, we think very highly of him there. The statues of him in Rome. Got to tell you, up to press at this point, he wasn't doing that well. Wasn't that well received. Got a bit seasick on his missionary travels. Didn't go a long way. I don't know a lot about um, the other character, Jesus. We don't read Jesus who became just as we don't read a lot about him. The real shock of the story is that these mission partners with Paul are Jewish Christians. These are Jewish Christians. So that doesn't, we don't think, oh, that's not shocking to us. If if you hung around with Paul a few weeks back, a few months back, Paul was taking Jewish Christians and he was stoning them to death. That's one reason, that's one reason this is a bit of a shock. The second reason is, Jews, to find God, to experience God, didn't readily leave their communities. They experienced God when they hung on to their communities, when they closed themselves into their communities, when they lived within the laws and the walls of their communities. These Jewish Christians were like we're risking everything. They were leaving those communities behind, leaving those friends, those ways of life, and trying to share God with people nothing like them. Pagans is what they used to call them. Going out into the world, people from all sorts of different cultures, and risking alienating themselves from ever, ever going back. These, so we could go on, in the, in, we could go on right through the end of this list if, if you wanted to, but we won't, we'll stop there. These, these are the lists. Paul and his murderous past and his newfound octopus and Tychicus and Onesimus, and this gang of Jews. So you ask yourself the question, why, why should I care about this list? Why should, why should I stay engaged for the next five minutes of this talk? First reason. And I, this, is, this is really worth thinking about. If, if you're, like you're on the edge of faith, or you're rocking, or anything like that, the Bible doesn't ask us to follow fairy stories. 
It doesn't ask us to follow fairy stories. It asks us to follow people. One of the ways that it works, works in lots of different ways. All different genres, wisdom literature, um, end times literature. But one of the ways that it works, it says, would you look at the people? The Bible is stacked full of names of real people, lists of real people. Jesus says, just as, um, before he ascends up to heaven, he says to the disciples watching and the disciples watching around, he says, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Peter, when he gives his first preach, says, God raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. That's Acts 2, 32. What, is, what are we receiving from this? People will see God because of people that have seen God. So when we, when we look down at this book, these people are named Bible doesn't say to you, come on a wing and a prayer. It says pray. It says you'll fly like eagles. But it says, look at the evidence for this. Look at the people. This bunch of people, they should, this should never have happened. This, is a, this, this list of people that I've given you, Tychicus, Anesimus, the murderous Paul, um, Aristarchus, Right throughout that list, it should never happen. It should, it should, you know, this should just end up in a big brawl. That's what should happen. And yet, they're not brawling. The way that this letter is written, you can see that they are intertwined. This unlikely, disparate, crazy bunch are intertwined, stronger than anything you could ever imagine. You re- read through the text, it's like, I'm going to pray for you. You pray for me. I'm going to head over to see you. You come and head over to see me. Let me be honest with you about this. You can be honest with me about this. They are intertwined. It is strong as. And as these people come together, we're forced to look at it and go, what, what, was, what was happening? What product had they bought? What had got them to this point? What had stirred this? We are massively moved, aren't we, when we see other disparate people united. I don't know if you watched the news a couple of weeks back. Um, Fish Lake, the village of Fish Lake, did you see the village of Fish Lake flooded? And it was typical, um, look north, local report, they just dragged three or four people together, old man John, the farmer, um, somebody up from the south because they just heard about it, and, and somebody else. And you, you're watching these three disparate people, and they all come together and just say, well, I just saw what was happening, and I just wanted to muck in, and I just wanted to help. And you see it, and you think, I can't help, but what, you know, what caused you to come here? Something caused you to come here. When we look at this story, that's what we see. You look down at it and you go, man, these are real people. What caused this to happen? First thing, the Bible doesn't ask us to follow fairy stories. It says, look at the people. Second thing it reminds us of this list is that the actions of a faithful servant have an eternal purpose, as does your name. These this little list seems instantly forgettable. You, you say, like, I should be more interested in what's on my WhatsApp than this list. These are all pretty insignificant things. One person looks like they might have turned over a new leaf. They might not have done. One person's praying for somebody else. This isn't massive stuff. This isn't life-changing stuff. It can feel a bit like that for us at times, I think. Living out your Christian life. It feel a bit like that when you, you think about... your 
whatever it might be that might cause you to live your life, you know, how God's shaping you and influencing you, trying to do a bit of this, trying to do a bit of that, trying to live a bit like this. And every now and again, you'll get to the point where you'll go, is this really, is this going to resonate? Is any of this going to be remembered next week? This list and these names draw my attention to what I would say is the truth. The actions done out of a faith in God means that those actions and us ourselves and our names will be eternally remembered. You read through the book of Revelation and this interconnected bunch of people end up in eternity with God, praising God, all named, all known. Here's the crumbs of comfort from the Bible. Here's the encouragements. These steps of faith that we take are remembered eternally. Our names, if we are faithful, are held on to eternally. Third one, and there's only four, so we've got two more. This list, this list, lists generally remind us that we're not on all of the lists. We, we ache. I don't know, when you think about the story of the dragon in the advert, it, it really resonates. It resonates with me because that's kind of the reality of our lives often, isn't it? Life can be, not often, sometimes life can be like that. It can feel like that, that cute little dragon felt. You can, you, can, you can be constantly looking for belonging. It's one of the things in life, I think, that we, we, we chase after it. We, we pursue it. I think even this Christmas, I reckon... Somewhere in your head, you'll be thinking about that perfect long table like from the advert. And, 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 and in that moment, in, in heading towards Christmas, you'll, be, you'll, like, you'll get a glimpse of that belonging, people that love you, people that care about you, something to sort of aim for. But at the same time, the Christmas table is always a bit of a reminder that we never quite get it. We'll be a bit of a twit or somebody that we know will be a bit of a twit or somebody in the family will fall out with somebody else in the family or somebody will tragically die. And this... This, this sense of belonging, we kind of glimpse it, but it kind of always stays one step ahead of us. One of the questions you could ask when you read the Bible is, why is the Old Testament there? Why, do, why on earth do we have that? I've heard good Christian friends of mine, long in the faith, go, why do we have? What, you know, why can't, Jesus is the good bit. I really get all that. Why do we have all that stuff in the past? What, what are we supposed to learn there? The story of the Old Testament it's a few different things, but one of, one of the lessons that it gives us, one of the stories, one of the ideas behind it is this idea of belonging. We see God pick up the children of Israel and he really wants them, his people, to understand what it's like to belong with him. He wants them to get that feeling, that thing that we're longing for. He says, I want you to get this. I'm going to do everything that I can to provide this for you. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to save you. From Egypt, I'm going to pull you out. It's going to be a miracle. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to look after you in that land. I'm going to dwell with you in that land. You're going to be near me. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you a way to live that's really smart and will mean you'll have real blessing. And what happens? 
you, I mean, you're not going to sit there tonight and read through the Old Testament, I know. But you, you read through that, you think, what's going on here? Your heart breaks as you read through the stories of the prophets who, who pull these people back to God. And you see a bunch of people who, even though God's clearly trying to get them to belong, they just can't realize it. They just keep falling out with each other, or they just keep ignoring God. Their egos get in the way. Or they look at what the other people have got and they say, I want that. But this sense of belonging eludes them. And by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, your heart's broken. You're like, Where, where's this story going? Your heart aches for that sense of belonging. One of the messages, I think, of the Bible is that our hearts are always going to ache in this world because we're longing for something that the world can't fully deliver. We'll get glimpses of it, but we will remain aching for that thing. The last thing, though, the last bit of sense we make of that list and the advert pulled together is that it gives us hope to belong. The real, I mean, the dragon's really cute. He's really cute. But the real treasure of the advert is the girl. She's the treasure. She's what gives us all hope. Without, without the girl, the, the dragon's just a cute arsonist. And that doesn't last very long in life. But with the girl, she sees him when nobody else does. Because he's a dragon. He's breathing fire. People have given up on him. She sees him. She stays with him despite, so cute, isn't it? She stays with him despite what he does and who he is. And she gives him a gift that, that means even though he's, he's still misshaped, even though he still breathes out fire, the gift that she gives him means that he's welcome to sit at that table and belong with everybody else. You want to feel that sense of belonging in the run-up to this Christmas. That's what you're longing for. You don't need a John Lewis sweater to get you there. But you do need a friend like that girl. When Jesus came, if you read the, the Gospels at 50,000 feet, you see this really clearly. When Jesus came, he the Bible says he saw us when we were at our very worst. That's how he saw us. He came and he saw that heartache from the Old Testament. He came and he laid eyes on us and he saw people trying to belong and he saw that they couldn't and he saw, he saw why they couldn't belong. He saw that they just kept fighting and falling out and ignoring God. He saw all that and he stayed. That's one of the lessons of the Gospels. He sticks around with the people. He stops and talks to the people. Not just the good ones, not just the smart ones, not just the religious ones, all of the people. He stays with the people, and in giving up his life, he gives us a gift through faith, through grasping what forgiveness is, that means that we can sit on that top table. Who is, who is the dragon? What's the dragon got to do with any of this? The dragon's us. We're the dragon. We're the dragon that goes through life not really being able to help but breathe fire every now and again 
feeling like there's something that we want and really longing for it. Who's this list of disparate people? Who's on this list? Who is that? This guy that travels all this way, this guy that used to be a murderer, this guy that's in jail but turning over a new leaf. Who is this list? This list is us. This list is us. Why does any of this matter? Because without, without Jesus, without Jesus, we're just cute, fire-breathing arsonists. Without Jesus, we are just a disparate group of people who might at any time start fighting with each other or robbing each other or anything like that. But with Jesus, we are still all of those things. And yet, because of the gift that he's given us, we find room at that top table. This, this is the story of the church. This is the story of Colossians. We're all fire-breathing dragons, but we find hope in Christ.